0: Uh, Just kind of help you understand the difference between the two, I'll give you the definition. Uh, Legislation, for example, is when stockholders or board members come together and they demand a certain requirement, so they make laws accordingly. Uh, Congress will get together and they will try to determine what is best for the nation. And they make a law, they pass it, and and that's legislating laws or the structure of our government. Uh, Or it's done by an edict. Um, say, in a company setting. Uh, You may have a man that owns the company. He doesn't go to a board or to somebody to decide how the company is going to be run. He decides, I don't want you showing up at 7 o'clock to go to work. I want you here at 630. So he passes down a structural change by edict, by a command. Edict just simply means a decree or a proclamation issued by an authority, a formal pronouncement or a command. So we've gotten structure... Uh, in place to this morning that some of it is done by a group, some of it is done by an individual, being myself, the pastor. Now, by restructuring our um, way of doing worship, I got the staff together, I got different directors together, I got the Sunday school teachers together, um, got the board together, and we all sat down and talked about, how we can restructure the way that we do worship. Because we, um, among the group, determined that the way we've been doing uh, worship, it, it was good. There was nothing wrong with it, but it's sort of lived its days. The way that they did things back in the 1930s may not work in 2012. Are you with me? And so we decided, you know what? Uh, I think the real tipping point was when our youth went to youth camp, and everybody looked at them and says, you mean you still do Sunday school? Nobody does Sunday school anymore. And so I started, like, waking up and smelling the coffee, and I'm like, you know what? Nobody really does Sunday school anymore. So we, we still do it. We just kind of gave it a different face. In fact, our children are in Sunday school right now. They're being taught the same things that they're always taught, the biblical truths. The advantage is we probably have more children right now in class than we've ever had. By changing us, Miss Carolyn, what? Miss Carolyn got a bunch of- She got a room full. I bet she just flipping over inside, isn't she? Hallelujah, that's a good thing. So we legislated that change to take a different approach into our agenda. But culture is different than structural. You you can't legislate culture. You can't vote on it. You can't demand it. Culture has it has a life of its own. Now, the definition of culture is, it's the attitude, the feelings, the values, and the behavior which characterizes any social group. So, a lot of times, the structure that you see is the product of the culture. Whatever the culture happens to be, and the culture sometimes, it shifts. And over time, almost every culture has shifted from one structural way of doing things to a different one based on how the culture change in how they saw things. The the culture in this region has changed over the last 24 plus years. Jeannie and I moved here in 1988. It was just, just over 24 uh, years ago. In fact, this month, 24 years ago, we moved into our house. Now, back then, this whole area was kind of a, and I mean this in a nice way now, I don't mean it ugly, but it was kind of a backwoods. Deep South, uh, Mayberry, look in on your neighbor, you know, you know what's going on, small town, everybody knew each other, kind of a structure, you know, but over the past 24 years, there's been a lot of people that has moved here from other places, we've sent our children off to college and they learn different things and they come back home and they bring all those different cultures and different things that they learn back to this region. And because there's a lot of transit people in this area, I have watched and observed as the culture has changed from Mayberry to something different. You know, Not that one's better than the other, it's just different. All right? Our culture has changed. How many of you that lived here or grew up here, you've noticed that cultural change? It's much different today than it was just 25 years ago. And so there's a natural shifting in the culture uh, sometimes. Well, that same thing has happened in our nation. You know, since the days that the Congress stopped Congress and had a prayer meeting, and you see a lot of times you'll see the portrait of the congressman down on their knees having prayer in Congress, and actually they instituted to open the Congress in prayer. Craziest thing. They open up in prayer and they say, today we're talking about removing prayer from school. It's like, well, if it's good enough for you, it's good enough for our kids, for crying out loud, you know. But, I mean, they used to hold church in the White House. They have used Congress to hold... They've had preachers come in and preach sermons to Congress. How many of you know our culture has changed? Now they're trying to legislate God right out of our country. That structural change is a result of the shifting of our culture. Because people have come here from all over the world. They bring their culture with them, you know. People, some of our great thinkers of the world thought there is no God, you know. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. So we have some very foolish people in some very powerful places yeah. teaching our children, you know. And as a result of that, you used to see that America was predominantly Christian, you know, whether they lived it or not, they at least believed it. They feared God. They respected God. And I believe that we still have a majority of the population of America are Christian. But there is a whole lot more people that are, that are antagonists and hate God today than there were back, you know, years ago. And it's because there's a shifting in the culture. Their attitudes, their feelings, their values, their behaviors characterizes us different. And uh, I believe that God sometimes wants to bring about cultural change, you know. Um, And I think that's what we're seeing here. One reason we're changing our structure is because I believe that God is trying to take us to a different place. A good place. Not that we've been in a bad place. I think we've been in a good place. But I believe God wants to bring you up higher and higher and higher and higher. I mean, the more you grow in God, the more you should grow in God. Right? I mean, if I've been in Christ for ten years and I'm still walking around with the Pampers on the big baby bottle, there's something wrong with that. You know what I'm saying? And and I love you. God knows I love you. But sometimes pastors get tired of people complaining because I didn't get their milk warm enough. And I'm like the Apostle Paul. You should be eating a T-bone right now. He said, but I can't feed you meat because I'm having to feed you milk. We should be growing in God. I'm not saying that to rebuke you. I'm just saying we should yes. be growing in God. Yes. And to do that, there's going to be some shifting in our culture, in the way we see things, the way we perceive things. There should be a time that we come to a place in our life where I just want more of you, God. That's right. We sing the song. It should be the song of my heart. Yeah. Lord, I've had this, and I've had that, I've gone after this, and I've gone after that, I've tried this, and I've had it all, and I'm still empty. I'm still unsatisfied. And I finally get to a point where I understand, all I want is you, God. I've had all the other stuff, and it does not satisfy me. Nothing satisfies me but you. And as that happens, we begin to pursue Him more. We begin to want to spend time with him more. And so there is a cultural shift even in our own heart. And as a result of that, there comes a structural change in our life. You know, so I think what we're seeing here is God bringing a shifting in our culture, in our church, to bring us to a place where we want more of God. And God says, Bernie, don't be distracted by all this stuff. It's important. People's feelings are important. If you've done something wrong, humble yourself, repent, ask them to forgive you. But you keep your eyes on me. Not the problem. Keep your eyes fixed on me. I'll take care of the problem. See, I'm a fixer. I can't help myself. If something's broke, i got to fix it. And sometimes I find out the more I try to fix something, the worse I make it. I'll go talk to somebody, and i think, boy, I'm doing some good. Next thing you know, man, Kapoom, It blew up in my face. I'm like, Lord, have mercy. i was just trying to help. You know, I, perfect intention. Horrible execution, apparently. But I, I can't help myself. And God is saying, Bernie, I'll fix that. I'm like, all right, Lord, maybe it's a lack of faith, you know, because I'm thinking, God, I just this thing needs to be fixed. It needs to be fixed right now. Get out of the way. I'm going to go over here and talk to this person. I'm going to fix this thing. Well, I don't fix it. I make it worse. So if I've tried to fix you and I made it worse, just forgive me. I meant to do good. It just backfired on me, but I had perfect intention because I do love you. And, and if people get mad at me, I still love them. It's like the dog in the fence. Remember that I told you? I told you that dog's name was was uh, Chief. His name wasn't Chief. His name was Sarge. Because I remembered after I left here, Sergeant German Shepherd, big German Shepherd. And if you weren't here, every kid in the neighborhood knew you don't pet Sarge. He will bite you. But I went in with my friend, and it went inside the fence, and he didn't run up and bark at you. He didn't growl. He just stood there, you know. And he said, don't mess with him. He'll bite you. I'm like, he looks fine to me, you know. And he come walking up to me, you know. Stopped right there. And I was like, as long as you patted him on the head, you were okay. But the minute you took your hand away, brother, and boy, he almost got me. Like jump back. And if Kenny hadn't been here, i think he would ate me up. Well, he'd become my enemy. All right? I, I didn't want to shoot him or kill him or anything. I didn't hate him. I loved him at a distance, though. I loved him on this side of the fence. All right? And I'd say, hey, Sarge, how you doing today, buddy? I'm not coming over there petting you. So sometimes, you know, you, you've got to have perfect intention and even love your enemy. You just have to kind of love him at a distance, you know, because they'll bite you sometimes, If you know what I mean, say amen. Amen. All right. You know, all right, Lord, I'll say it if you want me to. We're the body of Christ. You know, people say, well, why can't you get along? We're all a part of the body, right? And I thought about that time and again. But you know what occurred to me one day? We're all part of the body, but the nose and the armpit, they don't hang out with each other. I'm not saying who's what? I'm just saying there's parts of the body that just don't pile around, you know We're, We all need it, though. You even need the armpit. Yes, you do. That's why I'm so important to you. I'm, I'm your armpit. <laughs> but God is doing a shifting, and I believe that God has taken us to a new level in the spirit. I believe this for several reasons. One is because all hell has been breaking loose against me personally, and against the church indirectly, and against some of you. Anybody felt like the devil just got your numbers and been coming against you lately? All right, that's a good thing. Believe it or not, that is a good thing. Because when you're not rattling his cage, he could care less. And brother, when you start shaking up his little kingdom, he gets mad and he comes after you with vengeance. And it seems like every time I've gotten to that point where it's just coming at me on every side, and I just want to, I'm like, God, I don't want to do this anymore. It's just, this is not fun, you know. I know, it's, it's, somebody used the analogy of giving birth. Just before that baby's born, how many of you ladies know, brother, it gets rough. Push. Push. I mean, you can't quit. I mean, you can't take it back. I wonder about some of you women now. I don't know about anybody in here, but God bless her, Michelle, our Alpha missionary at UV at Virginia Tech. It's Anthony and Michelle Saladino. That woman has only had two babies and they were both big, and she's one of them bite on the axe handle and push women. She don't take any anesthesia. I'm like, what's wrong with you, woman? Right. I see she's a tougher. Well, she's tougher than I am, brother. Because I watch my wife, and I've seen some women go through that. I'm like, holy Moses. Guys, you just don't know. You ought to bow down and kiss her feet. Go home kiss your mama's feet. Because she went to the bowels of hell to bring you here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. But God wants to take us to a new level in the Spirit. I know that because the enemy has been launching an attack. I know that because I've been feeling that stirring in my spirit. And I know that because I've got a deepened hunger for God. I want to know Him more. I want more of Him. I want to see His power more. I want to see His Spirit move in our church more. I want to see people grow in their ministry more. I want you to identify your calling and your gift and operate in it. And Tuesday morning, Gene and I went to the... uh, uh, October is a pastor appreciation month, so our district always, every October, they schedule a retreat for the pastors, and they basically just bring you in. It's, it, it's a, it is a retreat. It's refreshing in some ways, but any time I've got a schedule, it's not downtime for me because I still got to be there at a certain time, you know, but I do appreciate it. I don't want you to misunderstand because they bring you in, and they bring in keynote speakers to encourage you, and so they, they were uh, encouraging us, and a lot of what they uh, said to us were really some confirmations about what I'm saying to you right now and the approach that we need to take in ministry in these last days. Uh, But Tuesday morning I woke up, and this is what I heard in my thinking. I'm going to say it was God because I believe that it was God. If it wasn't, God forgive me. It's just my mind running away with me. But laying on my bed I heard, CVAG is like a rose. I planted the seed. I have watered it time and again. I have cultivated you. When weeds grew up to try to choke you out, I pulled them up. I have watched you grow, and you are about to bloom. And you will be beautiful in my sight and a sweet-smelling savor to me. And I'm laying on the bed listening to this in my spirit. And I'm saying, Lord, if that's a word for our church, and that's really you... God, I don't know what this rose is going to look like or smell like. As long as you think it's beautiful and it's a sweet-smelling savor to you, I don't care what it looks like or what it smells like. I just want to know that you think it's beautiful and that it smells nice to you, Lord. So as the week began to unfold after that, I realize for CVAG to be characterized as something that smells sweet to God and something that is beautiful, uh, th- th- it speaks to our culture and where we are in the shifting in our culture, in our beliefs, in our attitudes, and in, in our values, in the way we feel, and the things that identifies us as Christian people, and so. I know that God's taking us into a new area. You know, after that, I was thinking, I don't know that any house of worship in the world does what we're doing here. But I'm like, all right, God, how how do we restructure this so that we go into a different level with you? And I know coming up here and taking communion by yourself may feel a little odd, but I did it this morning, and I thought it felt pretty good. I had a real intimate time with God. Joe, I saw you, and I wasn't watching, but I just happened to notice... Wasn't it meaningful? This, this seemed meaningful to me? And I meant to tell you I'm going to sidetrack here a minute this is going to help in the future. We, we put this this isn't that beautiful? It's a, What did you call that Lauden? Where's Laden now? Soapstone. Soapstone. And this was probably more authentic to what they would have used during Jesus' day. This has the juice in it, and what I do is I come up, take a piece of the bread and I dip it in the juice, and then I also took a cup with me. Because he said, and they drank this cup. So I believe they actually drank something. We don't want to all sip out of the same soapstone cup. Don't, don't sip out of our soapstone cup, please. And if you dip, don't double dip. And please don't get your fingernails in it. All right, so. all right, just dip the tip of your bread in it. And so I did that, you know, because I'm like, Lord, your flesh was drenched in blood. That was meaningful to me. Your flesh was drenched in blood. And I drink of your blood. You know, I don't know if any house of worship in the world does that. It doesn't matter. We're not doing it because somebody down the road did it. We did it because this is a, our structure as a reflection of our culture. And so God has wanted to do these things to characterize who we are. So I further realize that for us to be what God wants us to be, that people can and do have a direct influence on the cultural changes that we make. We see in our government the reason that they are anti-God now is because people made it their agenda to get in places of power for the sole purpose of changing our structure and take God out. Right now, Islam, they, you've got the radical Islams, uh, the Islamic people that are bent on jihad that wants to express their religion through violence. But you also have the Islamic Brotherhood who has a whole different approach. They're mostly doctors and educated people and lawyers and uh, uh, scientists and architects. I mean, they're very intelligent people. And they're not trying to declare jihad through violence. They want to get in political positions so that they can change it from the politics in your nation. They want to get their man in the White House. Their goal is to fly the Islamic flag over Washington D.C. And so, the way that culture changes is people will identify the needs that they they're, they're trying the things that they're trying to change, and they will get into position to change that. So, I know that people can and do have a direct influence on cultural change. And we see in the scripture we read in Matthew 28 this morning about. A time in history when there was a cultural change taking place in Christianity. Because up until the time of Christ, they did the same thing through their, throughout their history through tradition and ceremony. They had temple worship. They would bring their sacrifice. The priest would cut it. They would shed the blood. They would offer it on the altar. They would go in. They would go into the Holy of Holies. All of those things were symbolic about what God wanted to do in the spirit. They did it in the natural. And then Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, I'm bringing you a new covenant, a new testament, a new way of doing things. And there was a shifting in the culture. And as a result, there had to be a shifting in the structure. And so he goes about doing good and healing all those that were sick and oppressed of the devil. He would teach things that seemed foreign to their thinking. The Pharisees who were bent on tradition and bent on ceremony would come and hear him teach. And the things that he would say would just boggle their mind. And they would think, How can he know so much about the scripture? <laughs> we know because he wrote it. You know, they didn't know that. They just like how could he how could he know this? How could he have such wisdom and that, you know? And some of them didn't care what kind of wisdom he had, they were so bound in tradition that they weren't changing no matter what. Even if God showed up. Well he did. And they still didn't change. And folks, i got to tell you, there are Pharisees in our church sometimes. And it doesn't matter if Jesus himself showed up. They're going to find something wrong with it. And they're not going to go along with it. And that's okay. God will deal with that. Because Jesus had nothing good to say about the Pharisees. In fact, the only people he ever rebuked in Scripture were the Pharisees. You know, so... (laughs) In that, we we saw a changing and a shifting in the culture. And it it was okay with the disciples as long as Jesus was there. They were just following him. And then one day, their hero is nailed to a cross. And they all ran for their life, scared to death. And it looked like their whole cultural shifting is going to change and go right back to what it used to be. Because this thing didn't work. But something else happened when he rose from the dead. And they're hiding out in the room, and here comes Mary knocking on the door. And they go down, and it's like, who is it? Well, it's Mary. And they go down, and they let her in. And when she comes in, she says, he's risen. And so they're like, I don't believe that he's risen. And then he comes walking through the wall. Hallelujah. he said, here, see me, touch me. I am flesh and bone just like you. And then he spends some time with them, ministering to them. And I'm just thinking in my mind, during that period of time, they were probably still pretty okay with the change, because Jesus is back. Hallelujah, we can make this thing happen now. We got, we got the master back, you know. And then he goes out and he says something to them. He says, you go and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes shall be saved. He that doesn't believe shall be damned. These signs shall follow you. That's in a different account. That's not the Matthew account. And then after that, while they're watching him, he ascends into heaven. And they're standing there gazing at this. And the Bible doesn't say why they are, but I can just kind of speculate. They're thinking, oh no, he's not leaving again, is he? You know, and that's why the angel came and says, why do you stand here gazing into heavens? The same Jesus that you see go will come again in like manner as you've seen him leave. And so now they're like, now what do we do? And so they go into the upper room and they're praying. Praying is a good thing. Oh, So they're praying. There's about 120 of them. And as you know the story, the sound of a rushing mighty wind came into the room and it filled the room where they were sitting. Cloven tongues of fire appeared over them and they were all baptized with the Holy Spirit. And they remembered what he said, that you shall all be baptized of the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And now, something has changed in their culture. Because he says, you want power? You're going to have power. Because you'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. To be a witness. A martus. Unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the other most parts of the earth. And so now this cultural shifting that has to take place is going to take place through them. And so they do what he commanded them to do. They went out and started preaching the gospel. So I took that example, and I'm thinking, Lord, if we are going to be something that is sweet-smiling to you, something that is beautiful to you, there are four basics that we need to make sure that we never deviate from. I'm not going to say we need to get back to it because I don't know that we've ever left it. But I want to make it a priority. The first one is go. We need to go. See, we as the church, a lot of times we have the mentality is we're going to make it as good as we can make it. And we're going to try to get people to come. All right? Don't we do that? I mean, we've got an awesome worship time. You know, you've got some mediocre preaching going on. And we try to make it as best we can, but we want people to come. But folks, there's a lot of people that's not going to come until you go. That's right. that's true. The Bible said that he set the dinner table and he said, go out and invite them to come in. And he went out and invited them and some said, well, I've got to go to a wedding. or well, I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And he said, forget them. Go out into the highways and the hedges. Bring in the lame, the halt and the blind and compel them to come in. But whatever you bring, you got to go to get them and bring them in. Yeah. Folks, the church is not going to be filled up by us coming and saying, Boy, well, I hope so-and-so shows up this morning. Go get them. <laughs> go get them. We've got to go and make disciples of men, he said. <clears throat> We've got to make a different effort to share our faith. And so I, I'm, I'm not saying this to rebuke you, but just to... A lot of times I I question myself. I am my own worst critic. And it's a good thing because I want to challenge myself to be better than I am now. So I ask myself the hard questions sometimes. Have you made a deliberate effort to share your faith with another person a day this week? In the last month. In the last three months, have you went out with a deliberate effort to share your faith in the last six months or the last year? And when we ask ourselves that question, sometimes we're like, oh, man. And I'm not talking about necessarily going out and sharing your faith with a lost person. He said go out and teach them to obey all things whatsoever I've commanded you. That means make disciples out of them. Sometimes that's teaching one another. Sometimes that's taking a brand new Christian that loves the Lord and excited and taking them under your arm and making a deliberate effort to go and disciple that person. You don't always have to preach to them about it. Sometimes you can do it through action. Make a deliberate effort to go and invest in somebody's life. Brother Mike and I. I'm not bragging, but Brother Mike and I this week took a segment of time and invested in three young boys' life because they've been doing an incredible thing for God, and I'm proud of them. So we, I made it fun. Nobody said the gospel's got to be boring. I mean, you can you can ladies, you can talk about you can invest in somebody while you're shopping. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Okay, you signed. I got a sign-up sheet right here. You can invest in somebody on the golf course. You can invest in somebody hunting. We've done a lot of investment with people hunting, out with Pastor Joe? Yes, sir. We took these boys fishing. Had a good time. Didn't preach to them. Didn't re- we just invested in them. Loved on them. Demonstrated Christianity. Sometimes it's just that simple. And then there's other times that you need to share your faith and talk about the things of God. You need to purpose in your mind a time for the sole reason to witness to someone else. If I'm going to do what God commanded me to do, to go, I need to have a purpose in my mind, a a specific time for the sole purpose of going and sharing my faith with somebody. You can do that while you're just talking to somebody in normal conversation. You can do that at the Friday night football game. It's like, I'm going to go to the football game this Friday night. And I don't care who's playing because I'm not going to play football or watch football. I'm going to find somebody that I can invest in with my witness and my testimony. I'm going out to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think if we're going to do what God is instructing us to do, we need to make time for those things. At a picnic, while you're hunting, while you're shopping, wherever you may find yourself. Or just go out. If you want to go knock on doors and go door to door, I've never been a big advocate of that. But, I mean, if you want to do that, then do that. But make a time that I'm going to do what Jesus told me to do, and I'm going to go. So these are the four blooming things we need to do if we're going to bloom, all right? The first blooming thing we need to do is go. The second blooming thing we need to do is teach or preach the gospel. The Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. I'm going to talk about the things that I love the most. So if I'm around people and I never mention Jesus' name or anything about the gospel or God's kingdom, how much love is really in there for Jesus and for His kingdom? Now, I love the outdoors. I love outdoor sports. It's easy to talk about those things. And I talk about those things a lot. I found other interests. I have, I have intentionally uh, taken on other interest as an avenue to speak to other people. You know, I'll take an interest in football. I'm not a big, big football fan, but guys love football. And so, as an icebreaker, I learned a little bit about football. Who the Coaches are who the quarterbacks are, and that, so that I can get into their world and talk about them for the purpose of mentioning the name of Jesus or demonstrating Christianity—at least something—to try to teach them. There's a better way for you, and so we need to we we need to develop that gift of teaching. Look for an open door to share the gospel. Ray Comfort does the. Uh, The outreach ministry of... I mean, he's like one of these really in-your-face witnesses. I don't know that I'm there or that type of a witness, but he'll carry tracts in his pocket, you know. He's got little pennies that have been stamped out that's got the Ten Commandments on it. And he'll say, here, i got something I want to give you. And he'll give them a penny with the Ten Commandments stamped out on it. And, And you can get these if you go on his website. You can order these things. And all it is is an icebreaker to try to have a conversation about the things of God. And he'll say, here, i got something I want to give you. It's the Ten Commandments, stamped out on a penny. He said, I did the eyes with my teeth, you know, just to kind of be funny. And he said, if they'll take it and say, oh, yeah, sure, Ten Commandments, thanks. He knows that door's closed. They're like, oh, wow, Ten Commandments, that's pretty neat. Then he'll just start into his routine, you know. Well, like, how many of them do you know? Have you ever told a lie? And he goes through his routine and his approach to ministry. I've actually used that as well. And it works pretty good. People standing like, yeah, I'm a liar, I'm a thief, I'm an adulterer at heart, and I'm a blasphemer, and I've got to stand before God. Oh, are you going to be innocent or guilty? So you can, you can develop your own way. My biggest uh, uh, way of witness is just telling people what Jesus did in my life. Because that's personal. You ought to know what Jesus has done in your life. And if you can't quote a single scripture, you can at least tell people the difference Jesus has made in your life. And he can do the same thing in their life. Because a lot of people are like, "Oh, I don't know what to say. I don't know what I would say to people. Here's a good one. What do you think happens to you when you die? Because everybody thinks about that. I wonder what happens when I die. What's out there? And ask them, what do you think happens to you when you die? And very quickly, you're going to find out if they're religious or not. Because they're going to say, ah, oh, you just die. I mean, they're going to give you some answer. And say, well, you know, the Bible says that you'll stand before the judgment of God. And your deeds will be judged whether they were good or evil. Right? So are you ready for that? And if you're not, you can be. And then just share your faith with them. It's really not as hard as you think. Well, I think that one thing that's going to help you is make sure you read your Bible. Memorize verses. The Bible says that God will teach you in the very hour that what you ought to say. But you can't pull something up that you've never put down. Joel really hit on that really good last week. We need to be reading our Bible. Memorize Scripture. Every Christian should try to learn the Roman road. How many of you, don't raise your hand, but how many of you know the Roman road? Romans 3.23. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6:23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Savior. Romans 5, 8, and 9. Jesus committed his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That's not that hard to learn if you read over them and over them and over them again. And whether you just quote them out to people or you have them as a tool to know how to guide them through the steps to salvation. Help them see you're a sinner. But Jesus loves you. And while you were spitting on him, he died for you. And if you'll just trust him and confess your sins, he'll save you. We should all learn those things. The third blooming thing we should do, he said, to baptize them. Now, we think baptism is just a one-time dunk and it's done. All right? Because we always think about water baptism. There's many baptisms. There's the baptism of John, the baptism of repentance, the baptism of water, the baptism of fire, the baptism of suffering, the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And more importantly, the baptism into the body of Christ. And I think that is one of the most important baptisms. The Bible says, by one spirit are we all baptized into the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit wants you to be a connected part of the body of Christ. Now, as such, we should be working to involve other people in the body. That's a part of baptism. Baptism just simply means to immerse in. And so I want to immerse you into the body of Christ. I want to include you. I want to involve you. So if we're going to become what God wants us to be as a church... We need to be including one another in the body of Christ. Encourage people to get involved with things that's going on in the church. So we need to get involved and we need to show other people how to get involved. One way to get involved is baptize yourself into the body of Christ. In other words, show up for everything. Say, what can I do? And if nobody gives you something to do, find something to do. I mean, there's always a, a table to move or something to straighten up or somebody to encourage. or There's plenty to do if you're looking for it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you don't need to stand around and say, well, they won't ask me to do nothing. They won't include me. Well, include yourself. Right? right? Yeah. Just go in. I was, you, Tim and Meg invited us over to eat last night, and I'm sitting there. I didn't do nothing. I just sat there and ate. <laughs> you know, but I'm watching. When they got through serving it, Megan jumped up and started cleaning the table off. Tim over there, he's washing the dishes. Jeannie jumps up. She starts doing stuff. Chelsea got up and started doing stuff. Nathan's holding the baby, and I'm just sitting there watching it all. They didn't wait for said, Megan to say, said, well, can you do this? Can you? They just got up and started working. I'm like, man, this is a picture of the body of Christ right here. Doing what the body of Christ ought to be doing. Get involved baptize yourself into the body of Christ and work to baptize other people into the body. Does that make sense to you? That makes such clear, perfect sense to me. And the last thing, and I, I, I saved this the last, but this is not the last. In fact, this one precedes all the others. Philippians chapter 4 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing but in everything. Everybody say everything. everything. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your heart and minds yes, through will. Christ Jesus. Yes, it will. The most important thing you will ever do in your Christian walk is to pray. And don't pray, oh God, why is everybody picking on me? (laughs) He said with thanksgiving. Because the more I look at my problems and pout about what I'm going through, the more God shows me people that really have something to cry about. And I feel about this big. I'm like, God, forgive me. And then I look at their problems and they're complaining and I see other people that's got problems that don't. I mean, it makes them look like they're blessed. Yeah. Go to a children's hospital. Yeah. Come on. If you want to really feel like a heel, complaining about your petty little things, go to a children's hospital and watch a mom and dad as they're sitting by the bed of their child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pray. It's the most important thing that we can do. We need to return to the earnestness of prayer. There was a guy by the name of Gypsy Smith. I don't know if you've ever heard of him or not. He was born in 1860. Never had any formal education whatsoever. He was born in a tent to a family of gypsies outside of London, England. Never had any formal education, but he, he lectured at Harvard. University. He was invited by two presidents to visit the White House. He crossed the Atlantic 45 times. And he was such a passionate preacher that everybody wanted to go and hear Gypsy Smith preach. And everywhere he went, revival followed right on his heels. A group of people who were revivalists during that time came to him and said, Gypsy, what is your secret? How do you operate in such anointing and unction of this Holy Spirit? Is there something we can do to have what you have? He said, yes, you can. Yes, you can. I'm going to tell you what you do. I know you all saw me brought this in thought I was going to get up here and hula hoop. I never could hula hoop. I've tried and I never could get it to work. Gypsy Smith said, this is what you do. You go home, you take a piece of chalk, you go inside your bedroom and you lock yourself in your bedroom. And you get down on the floor and you draw a circle with that piece of chalk. And then you get down on your knees inside of that circle and you humbly and fervently pray, God, send a revival in this circle. Amen. Send a revival in this circle. Jesus. And then revival will come to your ministry. God said, Bernie, for your church to bloom and to be a sweet-smelling savor and something beautiful to me, you, you, Need to get in that circle. And pray, God, send revival inside this circle. And I'm here this morning to challenge each and every one of you. You can actually literally draw a circle. Get you a hula hoop if you don't want to draw on your floor. But if we each and every one will do that, I will stop looking at your faults. And your faults. And criticizing what you're doing. And nitpicking what you're doing. Because all I'm going to look at is what's wrong in this circle. And I want to make it right. And when I do that, and you do that, and you do that, and you do that, revival will come to this church. Stand to your feet, if you would, please.